Hello and welcome to another edition of the Lights, Camera, Sports Podcast, presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. Hello everybody, I'm your host Mike Galtieri. Please welcome back again and, and excited to be back here. Uh, we have a good podcast coming up with former Boston College quarterback Scott Mutrin joins us. Also the sideline reporter on the Boston College IMG radio network. So he shares his career, his thoughts on BC and the future as well. So exciting podcast. Stick with us. First, we'll hear from uh, Chestnut Hill Technologies and Stone Love and Pizza, and then go right into the podcast. Also, like to remind everybody, if you're a BC football fan, you should join the BC Football Gridiron Club just by going to bcfootballgridiron.com. Make sure to sign up and be part of the largest BC football community. Uh, once again, thanks so much for listening, and we'll go right into the podcast. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm. Based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum, CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. At Stone Love and Pizza, their mission is simple, to offer the most creative selection of hand-tossed, all-natural pizza in the Neapolitan tradition. Their pizzas are cooked in a stone-fired brick oven directly on the stone to lock in the flavor. Stone Love and Pizza uses all-natural products. In other words, their dough, sauce, and cheese contain no additives, preservatives, or weird chemicals of any kind. Come visit one of Stone Lovin's three locations, including the newest location at 1649 Beacon Street in Newton. Go Eagles! Welcome once again to another podcast, Lights, Camera, Sports Podcast, presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri. So happy to be back. Great guest here this week, joined by former Boston College quarterback and now current sideline analyst on the BC Radio IMG Network, Scott Mutrin joins us. Scott, thanks so much for the time. Mike, happy to be here, happy to uh, chat with you, which was under a little more happy circumstances after this Notre Dame game, but uh, happy to be here chatting with you. Yeah, so Scott played BC football quarterback 94-98. to 98. Uh First of all, Scott, let's just go back a little bit. You grew up in Ohio, the Cleveland area. Was football always your number one sport? Yeah, usually I was a big football guy. Also, I played basketball and high and uh, baseball in high school. I really liked uh, uh, football and baseball were kind of my big two. But football was definitely my number one. I went to a, you know a big school in in Ohio called Saint Ignatius, coached by Chuck Kyle. Uh, Coach Kyle has sent a bunch of players up. Uh, through BC in the years. Chris Hovan is probably one of the ones everyone uh, remembers, but we've had some pretty talented kids come. Kevin Cavillac recently, who just graduated as a St. Ignatius kid as well. Uh, so there's been a pretty good pipeline from St. Ignatius to Boston College uh, before my time and, and actually after my time as well. Uh, so great school, Jesuit High School, a lot like BC High is out here uh, with a pretty fun and successful program. And then, Scott, you went through high school, great career in high school, obviously. Just talk about your recruiting, uh, schools that were looking for you, and then how you ended up uh, with Boston College. Well, fortunately, I had a good junior year for my, uh, for my season. Our team went 14-0 and won the state championship, and I was fortunate enough to be one of the higher-recruited quarterbacks coming out my year. I was uh, uh, a parade All-American with a guy a lot of people might recognize, Peyton Manning. 
uh, Donovan McNabb and uh, <laughs> Josh Booty were kind of come some of the other quarterbacks that came out the same year as I did. Um, and you know, I, I had a chance to to check a lot of schools in the Midwest. I was, although I grew up in Ohio, I was never a huge Ohio State fan. Um, I didn't really kind of like John Cooper at the time, who was the coach at Ohio State. Um, and it was really between, for me, it was, it was Penn State, uh, who had, you know, Joe Paterno, Greg Schiano was actually recruiting me at Penn State. Wisconsin was Barry Alvarez, who was the head coach, and Brad Childress uh, was the guy who recruited me. He's with the Chiefs right now. And then, you know, I had Florida and Miami of Florida, which Florida at the time was Steve Spurrier. So it was, those are my five schools, but it was, it was funny. I tell people the story all the time is, uh, Tom Coughlin, I sat in a room with Tom Coughlin and in his office up in, uh, in Conti Forum at the time. And he sat with a gold sport coat on with my parents in the room and sat on the couch and looked me in the eyes. And he, he never promised me anything. He never said, you know, you're going to get this opportunity to get out this opportunity to start he said you're going to come in here and you're going to compete and you're going to be a better football player when you get out of here but you're also going to get a you know you're going to be a better person with a great education and uh one of the things when i was looking at in in the whole recruiting process was uh if i get hurt the first day and never play another down i wanted my degree to mean something and the the five schools that i narrowed it down to all had are all very good schools that the degree would mean something but I was so impressed with Tom Coughlin. I sat and talked to Lou Holtz, sat and talked to Joe Paterno, and I said to it is that Tom Coughlin is the most impressive individual that I had ever had the chance to meet. Um, and just because of the, it was the honesty and his ability to kind of look you in the eyes, and I said, I was like, there's, there's going to be a time that I'm probably not going to like him six days of the week, but I'm going to love him every Saturday after you win. And you just kind of get that feeling that you were going to be better better off for having Tom Coughlin as your coach. Unfortunately, uh, you know, three weeks, I think, after I signed my letter of intent, he went to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the rest is history. Um, I uh, played three years with Coach Dan Henning, who was – Dan was a great quarterback coach. I learned a a ton about that position. Uh, To this day, still use that uh, while I work with quarterbacks now. learned a lot from Dan and then played uh, my last two years with with Coach Tom O'Brien who was going into the Hall of Fame this year for BC. So um, it, it was, you know, some tumultuous times at BC, but I did learn a lot about the game of football and was fortunate enough to be there when, you know, Coach O'Brien got there to, to turn some things around. And then just, I'd like to, I'm interested, what was the differences in the recruiting visits between like a Penn State, a BC, and that recruiting weekend? Um, was there any, were there any differences? Wisconsin, you mentioned Barry Alvarez. Uh, in those those type of weekends? Yeah, it was kind of funny. So, like, on the, the Wisconsin trip, um, I flew up, and my, my father and a couple of my uncles went, drove up and met us up there. Um, I went out early. I think I went out during the weekend. Uh, Daryl Bevel was my host, and Daryl is now the offensive coordinator for the Seahawks. Everyone remembers him for calling the pass play that Malcolm Butler intercepted. Wow. Um, so Daryl was my, my host. I went out with a couple guys in, in Wisconsin and really liked the school. They were going to the Rose Bowl that year. So I got to see the, um, you know, I got to stay at an awesome hotel overlooking downtown Madison, Rose Bowl pictures and stuff, going to the stadium where you're, you're, they had a jersey with your name on it, uh, your name and stuff on the scoreboard. 
Barry Alvarez took, you know, my dad and my uncles out where it was, uh, you know, my uncle walked, I saw him the next morning and he had a cheese hat on. So one of those heads of cheese that came down. <laughs> so you have that. And then I, you know, Penn State is just a, a, you know, a monstrous school with unbelievable facilities. It was, it was very modern at the time compared to Notre Dame was a little bit older at the time. They didn't have the updated facilities. And then BC was, you know, they didn't have any of the facilities. They were just finishing the, the stadium. Um, and they were getting ready to practice for their bowl game. And I had Glenn Foley as my host. And, and uh, Glenn was a really, really good guy. Uh, very, very nice to me. Took me around. And uh, uh, I was so impressed with him and how his teammates looked at him and everything. And it was just it was just a, an experience that, it was. It's overwhelming at times because there's so many things that are going on. But um, you know, something. It's it's nice to be wanted. That I guess it's wasted on an 18 year old because you don't really appreciate that as much as you should. But um, it, it was great for me to, to to come to a school like Boston College and feel like I fit in. Uh, I fit in with the students. I fit in with the team. Um, and they're coming off such an emotional win over Notre Dame, who was a team I never really liked growing up. Um, I was never a big fan of Notre Dame uh, growing up, so that win was, you know, fresh in everyone's memories, and you kind of felt that tide um, of everything positive going on with, with BC, that this was kind of the beginning of something special, and you wanted to kind of catch that wave and ride it in. And then how did you find out Tom Coughlin was leaving? Did he call you and say, I'm, I'm out before? Um, he did not call me. I heard about it, um, you know, back in the – Back in the in the old school days of '94, I guess I saw it on uh, I saw it on TV, and uh, and then I believe he he may have called, and I had to do it. I ended up doing an interview uh, for um, ESPN, I believe, to kind of give my thoughts on him leaving. And I said, Coach, he has to chase his dream. He always wanted to go to the NFL. This is a great opportunity. You have to respect that. And uh, he actually sent me a letter that that was very nice that thanked me kind of for how I handled it and stuff like that. I tried to get him to sign me when he was in for the either the Giants or the Jaguars in 98 when I was coming out of college, <laughs> or excuse me, 99, to repay the favor, but I, I don't think that got through the chain of command there. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's kind of how I found out. I was a little shocked, and but the crazy thing was I didn't have much time after that because I was, getting ready for basketball playoffs and then literally the week after he left I ended up breaking my leg and I was out of commission for a while so I was more focused on getting myself healthy at that time than kind of worrying about coach Coughlin and then you did you meet Dan Henning over that summer that first time to get things going I I actually met Dan at the spring game Uh, that's when they played it at Brockton I actually came out for the game and got to meet a lot of the guys on the team then and and talk to some people and sit down with Dan. And as an offensive guy, I mean, you loved it. He was an NFL guy, which is that you're coming as a high school quarterback. You're like, okay, what do I want? I want an NFL offensive coordinator. You're like, all right, great. Uh, quarterback specialist that had coached, you know, a couple Super Bowl winning teams that Bill Parcells loved because Bill Parcells was really big at Dan getting the job. I'm like, I couldn't have asked for a better situation to come into. And, you know, from a quarterback perspective, I could not have learned any more about the position than I did from Dan Henning. Uh, this day, you know, my first quarterback coach and offensive coordinator was Dirk Cutter. So 
So he was the guy I really kind of sat down and talked to during that visit and at the beginning. And Dirk's obviously done very well for himself now the head coach of Tampa Bay. So you're talking about two amazing coaches for a young quarterback to come in and be exposed to, especially with Dan, for, with everything that he knew, and then a younger guy like Dirk who is ascended to be an NFL head coach now for Tampa Bay. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. At Stone Love and Pizza, their mission is simple, to offer the most creative selection of hand-tossed, all-natural pizza in the Neapolitan tradition. Their pizzas are cooked in a stone-fired brick oven directly on the stone to lock in the flavor. Stone Love and Pizza uses all-natural products. In other words, their dough, sauce, and cheese contain no additives, preservatives, or weird chemicals of any kind. Come visit one of Stone Love and's three locations, including the newest location at 1649 Beacon Street in Newton. Go! Eagles. Oh, and Scott, you threw for 3,261 yards your career at BC. Uh, a lot of ups, some downs. Just talk about your career as playing with BC, Dan Henning, and then Tom O'Brien. Um, I think a lot of it started out with a lot of high hopes. I played as a true freshman. Um, I, my first pass was intercepted. I came in to uh, replace Mark Hartzell, uh, who broke his finger against Virginia Tech. We lost a tough game there. Uh, you talk about a bounce of a ball. There's a pass I threw that ends up intercepted for a touchdown that if the receiver catches it, um, that could, it could have been a touchdown. It just missed it. I probably had a little too much pace on it. But if he catches it, he had an alleyway to run it, and he scores a touchdown. Now, if he scores a touchdown, how does that turn things around? Who knows? Uh, but then I start the next week against the University, uh, University of Pittsburgh. Well, we win that game. We were already 0-2 to start the year, so – uh, it was nice to go in and be able to win uh, my first college start against Pitt. Uh, didn't put up great numbers, but enough to win, so I was pretty psyched about that. I played a bunch as a true freshman. Uh, redshirted as a sophomore uh, while Mark started. Uh, that was a tough season for us. Uh, we struggled and fought through some, some brutal schedule. He started out with Ohio State, uh, Virginia Tech, Michigan, and Michigan State were our first four games. So we started out tough there. Um, and then in 96, uh, Dan's last year, I won the starting job in, um, I won the starting job in spring ball. Matt Hasback actually had gotten sick when he went away in spring break. And then on the last practice of the last play before the spring game, I broke my thumb. I hit it on a guy's helmet. Um, and I had to kind of rehab that the whole next time. Came back to spring ball, uh, to summer ball. Uh, battled Matt again. I won the job coming out of camp, but we played Hawaii, lost there. Matt came in and replaced me and then started some games there. I came in relief for a bunch of other games. Uh, we had the, the gambling scandal that kind of hit, and then at the end of that season, Coach O'Brien came in. It kind of changed everything around. I didn't play at all. I played in one, two games in 97. Uh, for, for Coach O'Brien and uh, then started the whole 98 season. So a lot of twists and turns and up and downs for my college career. But it was great. Uh, Coach O'Brien is, for as 
personable, friendly, and would like Dan Henning would have you sit down and do that. Coach O'Brien was very, you know, distinct on his role with the team. He was the coach, you were the player, and you had to follow some certain things. And he was, I have to admit, I, I don't know if I, you really appreciate it when you're playing for him, but the, the, the two greatest things that I could say about Coach O'Brien is he was honest. Uh, a lot of coaches want to tell you what you want to hear. Coach O'Brien was you know, brutally honest to you, what you had to do, what the expectations were for you in the program, and if you wanted to play, this is what you needed to do. And I think another thing that's very, very lost on a lot of things is he's extremely loyal. Uh, he stuck with me in 98, when even though we were going through a 4-8 and season, and never wavered from me, stayed with me starting throughout the entire season, um, even in the last game. Uh, it's kind of funny. The It's never really talked about, but in 98 we're playing Notre Dame, and on my first, I think it may have been my first or second completion of the game, it was a long pass to Jermaine Walker, um, who's now deceased, but it was a long pass. I ended up kind of banging my head, but I ended up breaking my hand, my, my throwing hand, and and nobody knew about it for the rest of the year. I ended up playing the rest of the Notre Dame game, and then the last two games, with a broken bone in my right hand. Wow. Um, and, and Coach O'Brien never never wavered. He said, he said, can you play? And I didn't practice. Like, I would get Tuesdays off those last two weeks, and then I'd still go in and practice. I mean, the only thing that mattered is that it hurt. You just had to deal with the pain. Um, and he stuck with me through all that. I give him a lot of credit because he could have easily just gone the other way and, and played Tim Hasselback. But he decided to stick with me and, and reward me for that. And I, I respect a lot of things that Coach O'Brien did. I'm, I'm glad he's going to the Hall of Fame because he deserves it for how he turned BC's program around and what he did for that program. Um, I think he was almost a little underappreciated for everything in which he did because he's not, he's not the, the glowing media personality that, that a lot of other coaches can be. But, man, his, like, he was respected in the locker room. People played very hard for him. He's a loyal guy that stuck by his players and did so much for BC. I was happy to be a part of it. I only wish I had another year to play for him because I was really, really encouraged by the way the program was headed and what he was doing. And obviously the next year, I believe they went eight four and go to a bowl game. So coach O'Brien did so many great things. I was, I was happy to have him and, and thankful that he appreciated and respected the hard work and, and everything that I did to, to play and get ready to play. Yeah, I was just looking up. You know, BC had, after that 98 season, BC had 12 winning seasons in a row after that That's season. Right. So, you guys got me out, once BC got me out of there, they, they, brought, they came back to their winning ways. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, yeah, and honestly, you got yet 98 team in a lot of ways probably led the foundation, which it's very, very important. Yeah, we that 98 team was – uh, it's kind of it was difficult because that offense was a very good offense. You had Mike Cloud, who was an All American. You had first round draft pick and Damian Woody as a center. Uh, Doug Brzezinski as an offensive lineman, who you know was a second round draft pick. Then you had three, four other guys that played in the NFL on that offensive line. Um, so you had some talent on that offense. I think we were a top twenty, twenty five offense in the nation that year. Um, it's just that we couldn't get enough points when we needed or we couldn't make enough stops when we needed to. And But that was a dynamic offense. Anthony DeCosmo was the leading receiver. He was great. And then you had you know, tight ends like Rob Tardio, uh, Rob Ellis. So you had some, some pretty talented guys on that offense uh, that year. And we had some chances to win games. We lost some heartbreakers. 
the the Navy game was a tough one, losing on the last second field goal that we missed. Um, we were up 18 in the fourth quarter of that game, and then obviously the Notre Dame game that everyone remembers that we lost when we were first in goal at the four. But I mean, that hopefully that was the foundation that kind of led to that feeling, and a lot of the younger guys that had to play on those teams maybe use that as the motivation to get better and not let it happen again. Scott, I'm interested to get your take. You said you went uh, through some up and downs as QB, back up, back to starter. Uh, what th- I'm interested, what would you tell the current student athletes about that, especially a guy like Darius Wade, who's with BC now, now is the backup. I, I, what would you tell him if he seeked your advice? Well, it's kind of funny that you mention it. Is, um, I've, been in both, I've been in both sides of it. You've been the guy that wins the job, and then you've been the guy that, that loses the job. And, and a part of it, when I won the job, I think, uh, I didn't either, I didn't either respect it enough or I wasn't, I, I, and I'm a confident guy, but there was a point in time where you questioned some things that you, I didn't really kind of play with the confidence that got me to win the job. I kind of regret, you know, feel that way. I should have just kind of put the pedal down and continued to get better. But on the other side, when I lost the job, the, the worst thing that I did is that I felt sorry for myself for about two weeks. And you didn't prepare as hard. You're blaming everybody but yourself. And you're not, you're not going into that kind of situation with the, the mental approach that you need to take, that you're one play away from going in there and you're one play away from going to play. Um, instead of you're, you know, you're bitter that you're not out there, you're bitter that, you know, you know, coach doesn't like me sort of thing, and you felt sorry for yourself. But then, I, you know, you realize in it that in the end you've got to be a great teammate, and you owe it to your teammates to prepare and get ready to play. Because if you're not ready to play, then you're cheating these guys out who are working their butts all week that are playing and playing hard. And I actually got Darius after the Northern Illinois game, and I, I made it a point to go up to him, and I said, hey, listen, at some point in time, you may have to win a game for this team this year. You need to be ready. You need to prepare and keep your head up because you just never know when you're going to get a chance. And when you get that chance, you don't want to waste it by not being ready. You always have to be prepared. The quarterback's tougher than a, a wide receiver because those guys can come in and out or linemen, but as a quarterback, there's only one on the field at the time. But when you get that chance, you can't afford to not be ready and can't afford to not produce for your team you have to go out there and give them everything you have and be ready to perform for that team yeah i'm interested what was his reaction um you know he was coming off the game it was an emotional win he he shook his head he shook his head and said thanks it's tough i mean it's tough as a psyche of that guy when you know being in that position it's not easy and and sometimes you just don't want to hear it so it's that. I mean, I, I'm not mad about it. I've I've been there, and I probably kind of said the same thing. You're still like, you're frustrated. You just want a chance. You felt that you did everything you needed to do to to, to win the job, and yet you didn't. Um, and then you kind of want to feel sorry for yourself and blame others. So it, and it's tough to do. And I get it. And I feel sorry, but I just wanted to let him know. I, I'm you know I I know what it feels like. Don't don't give up. Stay with it. Keep keep you know. Keep pounding away at it. Keep preparing, studying film, working in practice, even if you have to work with the scout team or whatever. But just be ready to go out because you never know. You're one snap away from being back out there. And before I get to Anthony Brown, I just want to do some research. I realized you had a QB battle in the NFL with New England uh, with Drew Bledsoe. What year was that, 99? Yeah, that was 99. So after 
such an illustrious career, no one really really had uh, time to, to grab me in the draft. There was, <laughs> class of 99 was a big draft. I think there were eight quarterbacks taken in the, in the first round, led by Tim Couch, Akili Smith, and uh, Donovan McNabb, were I think three of the top four picks. Um, so a lot of people grabbed quarterbacks early. I didn't get a chance to get drafted. I had a good workout for the Patriots. And went to Foxborough and, you know, competed, signed there as a free agent, competed, was competing with Michael Bishop. Yeah. And Jimmy, Jimmy Murphy out of Northeastern for a shot. And uh, it was Pete Carroll's last year there. So one of the things I love to tell all Patriots fans is that they owe me five Super Bowls because I stunk just enough that they cut me and then signed the guy Tom Brady next year. So if I would have been a little bit better and maybe made the team, and been good, maybe I would have been there. and They never would have had the, the reason to draft Tom Brady the next year, which, of course, everyone laughs at. But I, I like to take credit. <laughs> that, it is interesting, the ebb and flows of it as well. Was Drew Bledsoe a pretty good guy? Because he had to go through the same thing a year later with Brady. Right. Well, it was, yeah, it was two years later. Drew two was years. a great guy. Um, I knew that. So the funny thing was, so I go to New England, and the offense they ran in New England at the time is – the offense I ran the first three years of college. So I knew the offense like the back of my hand because Ernie Zampezi was the offensive coordinator there, and him and Dan Henning were colleagues for many, many years. Gotcha. So for me, it was easy. Uh, it was like walking into to the test and already knowing the answers. So, um, you know, you, there's not a lot of reps for the fourth-team quarterbacks. So you got to make the most of it. And I had the chance to work with the defense a lot. Uh, got a lot of respect from Ty Law and some of those guys, which felt good. They, you know, when when you're a rookie free agent, you're just trying to not make a lot of noise and trying to get people to notice you. And you stay after and you throw to passes to other guys that want to work, and you know, work with other guys afterwards. And I remember throwing, staying late and throwing passes with Terry Glenn, and uh, and working. And when you know Ty Law and those guys come up to you and say, "Hey, hey, man, you're good. You got a good arm. You can play." That it kind of validates a lot of your a lot of the feelings that you have about yourself. But you know, sometimes it's just not meant to be. You don't get that chance to really go in a game and play, and then nobody gets a chance to see you. I went to the Arena League and, and tried to get a look there, and that that didn't pan out. So then you got to go back to the real world after that. But Drew Bledsoe is, a, is an outstanding guy. He was very nice to me. Uh, really helped me out a lot, and really kind of mentally. Um, Really mentally tried to uh, keep me in it, and I and I won three hundred bucks playing cards with him in camp, so that was good. It was good to take money off him, even though he, he wanted a chance to win it back. Would you guys play poker? Yeah, we played a bunch of different different <laughs> card games at the time. I know we played hearts and spades and poker and a bunch of different stuff. John Freeze was another quarterback there. Uh, John Drew Drew and I and even Jimmy Murphy would play um, afterwards. It was a nice way to kind of relax at the uh, end of the day. Some other guys would join in, too, every so often. But uh, you'd see the competitor out no matter what. I was like, Drew, you just signed a you know, $100 million contract extension. How can you be mad about 300 bucks? And he's like, 300 bucks buys me the same TV it buys you. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. Now he's in the wine business. so and Now he makes great wine, double-back wine out of Walla Walla, which is kind of where he grew up. Uh, it's pretty high-end wine. I've uh, I've seen it. There there are a couple of restaurants in Massachusetts that have it, but it's not easy to get 
was trying to, to see if Drew would remember me, and because I'm, I'm sure he might. It just takes some time, but see if he could send me a couple goodwill bottles in, in his uh, in the pipeline. <laughs> we'll see what we could do. Definitely. All right. Um, uh, let's just quickly now. We have a couple more minutes. Just want to fast forward to this year's current BC team. Um, first of all, your thoughts on Anthony Brown and how he's progressing now uh, through three games. Um, I thought he had a very good first game. I really like his poise. Uh, I thought the first game, the, the thing that impressed me most uh, was the way he handled the two-minute drill at the end of the, of the half to score a touchdown there. Really liked seeing the way he the ball comes out of his hand. He's very fluid. He's very confident. Uh, he can throw the ball on different planes, which I like to see. And what I mean by that is that Everything's not on a line drive, and everything's not popped up way in the air. He can throw the ball over guys. He can throw the ball on a line, and he can throw the ball deep, turn the ball over. Uh, he's got a, a lot of poise and natural leadership. Um, he took a lot. He takes ownership for his mistakes, which earns respect to your teammates uh, quite quickly. Um, I think the John Baker injury hurts him a little bit because John was able to take a lot of things off his plate that he didn't have to worry about incorporating a freshman center there. I think in the Wake Forest game, maybe had, they had a little too much on his on his plate there that he had to mentally handle. Um, this week against Notre Dame, um, he, had, he had a decent game. Um, Coach Adazio and Coach Leffler did a good job of kind of executing the game plan to his strengths, really relied on the running game a lot, and kind of didn't put as much on his plate as he had against Wake Forest. I think he did a good job. I think he has the potential. The, the best thing you can say about any quarterback is, can he win me a game? Can he go out there and win me a game that maybe we normally couldn't win? And I think A.B. has that ability uh, to go out and win a game uh, with his ability and with his talent. He's got some talent around him in the, in the receiving corps. He has some really talented guys out there with Jeff Smith, Michael Walker, Kobe White's very good, Charlie Callen had a good game, and, and Tommy Sweeney. He's got a lot of weapons. Um, out there, and maybe if he continues to progress, can do it this year, but definitely in the pipeline, you can see that in his future and his ability to win some football games. Yeah, you know, you're right. That first half against Notre Dame, Callen and the team, a lot of good movement. Uh, the offense was moving up and down the field pretty well. Uh, it seemed like they, you know, they really improved in that regard. Yeah, I think it helps. The biggest thing is, uh, you, you've probably heard me talk about it, is the offensive line is is not five individuals. It's five guys that need to work as one. And the fluidity of that situation, guys need to be familiar playing with each other. Um, None of those guys need to be thinking about what the other guy next to them is going to do or has to do. They have to be able to know their assignments and execute. And if all guys are kind of trusting on that that beat and in that rhythm, then they're able to execute the – their, their jobs and to able to get to the second level running the football and then protecting the quarterback uh, in the passing game. And I think you saw some, they had some consistency in there this week. Uh, I know Sam Schmall, I felt, had a very good game for BC this week. I saw him in there in a lot of series where they had success running the football and had success throwing the football. I thought he was a, he missed the, the Northern Illinois game, I think, with an injury. Uh, but it was good to see a kind of a solid rotation uh, in there and to see some consistency up front. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, 
and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. At Stone Love and Pizza, their mission is simple, to offer the most creative selection of hand-tossed, all-natural pizza in the Neapolitan tradition. Their pizzas are cooked in a stone-fired brick oven directly on the stone to lock in the flavor. Stone Love and Pizza uses all-natural products. In other words, their dough, sauce, and cheese contain no additives, preservatives, or weird chemicals of any kind. Come visit one of Stone Lovin's three locations, including the newest location at 1649 Beacon Street in Newton. Go Eagles! Thanks so much for listening to the podcast Lights, Camera, Sports, presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. Once again, I'm your host, Mike Galtieri. I'd like to remind everybody, if you're a BC football fan, you should be a part of the BC Gridiron Club. Just go to bcfootballgridiron.com for more information. Well, thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back once again on next week. This is Mike Galtieri, signing off.